Hello and welcome to the Moving Curve. I'm Rukmini, a data journalist based in Chennai. Every night on this mini cast, I consider one question around the novel coronavirus epidemic in India. Tonight I'm asking this one. What's the best way to make decisions about kids? It's day 106 of the novel coronavirus epidemic in India. Across the world there is a huge debate going on about when and how children can and should return to schools and to childcare settings. There's so much to unpack in fact that I'm going to do this over two episodes. Tonight I'll look at the evidence and tomorrow I'll speak to parents. There are two main elements to the conversation over school and childcare. One is purely medical and epidemiological and concerns how the virus interacts with children. Up until now there was largely consensus over the fact that children usually developed very mild symptoms or remained asymptomatic. In India two children being hospitalized with covid has been very rare. So the sense was that children are less likely to contract the infection and less likely to spread it. However some new worrying evidence is there. Writing for the New York Times journalist Apurva Mandavilli says that in one study published last week in the journal Science A team analyzed data from Wuhan and Shanghai and found that children were about one third as likely to contract the coronavirus infection as adults were. But when schools were open, they found that children had about three times as many contacts as adults and three times as many opportunities to become infected, essentially evening out their risk. Based on their data, the researchers estimated that closing schools can reduce the infection surge by about 40 to 60% and slow the epidemic's course. The second study by a group of German researchers was more straightforward, she writes. The team tested children and adults and found that children who test positive harbor just as much virus as adults do, sometimes more, and so presumably are just as infectious. But this is limited research and from limited settings. The reason all of this becomes even more fraught is the second element of the conversation which is this. The issue of opening or closing schools has an enormous impact on the lives of parents, particularly women. No parent would want their child to return to school or childcare if there is a significant risk of them contracting the disease even in its mild form. But the way we've been having this discussion in India, mainly by not having this discussion at all, ignores the fact that by shifting the entire burden of childcare onto the family the return of parents to the paid economy has become next to impossible in most cases this will have the biggest impact on working mothers in many countries this is what the conversation is in the uk i was quite amazed to learn that schools have remained open through the pandemic for the children of essential workers and children classified as vulnerable We on the other hand have not given a second thought to how doctors, conservancy workers, nurses, government officials and cops are supposed to go to work without schools or childcare for their children. Nor have we made any arrangements for vulnerable children. Those who receive health supplies like sanitary napkins in school. The home distribution of the midday meal is by no means going on smoothly in all states and children who are in abusive homes. Professor Ashwini Deshpande, professor of economics at Ashoka University and a noted feminist labor economist, has studied violence during the lockdown, and she says this is an important dimension to consider when we think of opening schools. Consider abusive situations. Right. I mean, homeschooling is tough even in the in the under the best of circumstances. But at least if you have a happy home, um, you know, uh, children are provided for. 
Right. It's a pressure on the women, but at least the children are not. The consequences for children are not worse. Whereas, or if, if they themselves are being abused or beaten, then uh, that uh, school and college actually offers a possibility for students to move out of uh, difficult, uh, abusive circumstances. But this closure of education institutions, not just for small kids, but even for older uh, older students, uh, prevents any of those possibilities. And they are living with their abuser day in and day out, you know, and that's that can have huge negative impact on mental health right. in addition to the direct physical impact if getting beaten up. But even if it's, there's no violence, but if it is, if there's abuse, you know, that takes a huge toll on mental health, especially if the abuse is repeated. And then there is the question of reopening schools and restarting childcare so that other working parents can get back to work, something that countries like Denmark and Norway have done now. When I asked Professor Deshpande about this, I prefaced my question by saying that I knew it was an elite concern. But here's what she said. I think that's a very important point and it's, uh, I wouldn't necessarily only call it elite because actually the middle class women are going to suffer more, you know. Uh, right. The very elite women, you know, already have live-in maids, etc., etc. Right. It's the middle class women who rely on uh, part-timers or mm. who rely on a child daycare center where they drop their children off and then go to work. Right. Uh, I think the middle class is going to get squeezed by this. You know, and on um, two two things I want to point out here. One is today's New York Times has a very interesting headline where they did a phone survey in the US and asked men and women about the sharing of homeschooling and childcare responsibilities now the children are at home and 45% men th- thought said that they contributed to uh, childcare at home and only 3% of women agreed with that view so i think that uh, that men think that they are actually helping out a lot uh, but but most of them disagree with that view so that's that's just in terms of the fact that uh, the gender inequality in childcare, even in developed countries, is is significant and high. That's po- the second point is about, as I said, about this particular pandemic because of its requirement of social distancing. What has happened is that earlier, you know, neighbors might have looked after your children mm-hmm. or grandparents, you might have been able to drop them off at the grandparents' house and go to work or whatever. Uh, you know, uh, the friends could have sleepovers in each other's homes. So parents could also have shared the work. Now, all of those possibilities are going to get diminished, not just for the coming one month or two months, but for a long time, basically. You know, you can't just leave your kids in somebody's house because you just don't know who's been in contact. So I think that's that's a very real uh, uh, concern and pressure on women, on mothers. About opening of schools, actually, if you look at the evidence from earlier uh, epidemics and pandemics uh, and about the possibility of transmission of the disease through schools and to children coming back home from school and transmitting to the adults, that evidence is really very thin. There seems to be a view that of all things to be restarted, if schools are restarted, the risk is lowest in terms of disease transmission and the benefit to mothers is the highest. These are not black and white decisions. And I know many, many households are struggling with these decisions as restrictions begin to ease. And I'll be speaking to some of them. Thank you for listening. This episode was edited by Anand Krishnamurti. 
tomorrow a new question